Hello and welcome to another episode of Where Will You Stand? Hopefully new and improved. I got a brand new microphone and a nice camera for a little bit of video. And uh, I got a little piece of history that I want to read. It's the 10 points of the Nuremberg Code. Came out of the trials and tribulations of all the war crimes and absurdities that came out of all those Nazi trials. And I feel like it might have some relevance to today. There's a lot of arguments that it doesn't, and we'll see. You can make your own viewpoints on that. Let's get into this one. So, first off, the voluntary consent of human subject uh, is absolutely essential. This means that the person involved should have legal capacity to give consent, should also be situated as to be able to exercise free power of choice, without the intervention of any element of force, fraud, deceit, duress, overreaching, or other ulterior form of constraint or coercion. Like Bill de Blasio's french fries and burgers. Anyway. And should have sufficient knowledge of comprehension of the elements and subject matter involved as to enable him to make an understanding and enlightened decision. This latter element requires that before the acceptance of an affirmative decision by the experimental subject keyword experimental there should be made known to him the nature duration and purpose of the experiment the method and means by which it is to be conducted all inconveniences and hazards reasonably to be expected and the effects upon his health or person which may possibly come from his participation in the experiment the duty and responsibility for ascertaining the quality of the consent rests upon each individual who initiates, directs, or engages in the experiment. It is a personal duty and responsibility which may not be delegated to another with impunity. The experiment should be as such to yield fruitful results for the good of society, unprocurable by any other methods or means of study and not random and unnecessary in nature the experiment should be designed and based on the results of animal experimentation and a knowledge of natural history of the disease or other problem under study that anticipated results will justify the performance of the experiment the experiment should be conducted as to avoid all unnecessary physical and mental suffering and injury. No experiment should be conducted where there is a priori reason to believe that death or disabling injury will occur, except perhaps in those experiments where the experimental physicians also serve as subjects. So that means if the physician is experimenting on themselves, people can do whatever they want to their own person. The degree of risk to be taken should never exceed that determined by humanitarian importance of the problem to be solved by the experiment. Like we're in one big giant experiment still ongoing two years later. Proper preparation should be made and adequate facilities provided to protect the experimental subject against even remote possibilities of injury, disability, or death. The experiment should be conducted only by scientifically qualified persons, 
The highest degree of skill and care should be taken and required through all stages of the experiments of those who conduct or engage in the experiment. During the course of the experiment, the human subject should be at liberty to bring the experiment to an end if he has reached the physical or mental state where the continuation of the experiment seems to him to be impossible. During the course of the experiment, the scientist in charge must be prepared to terminate the experiment at any stage. If he has probable cause to believe in the exercise of good faith, superior skill, and careful judgment required of him that a continuation of experiment is likely to result in injury, disability, or death to the experimental subject. Now, one of the really big things is the vaccine that we have now. I don't want to talk too much about it, but it is basically, we're basically in just one giant clinical trial. We're all guinea pigs, and it is not technically approved. It's been post-date approved, which means it's not going to be fully approved by the FDA for another few years, I believe. Now, there's been all kinds of people like this guy from the Washington Post that writes opinion pieces that contradict everything that basically constitutes good faith and good judgment and completely derails reality and common sense. I, we, we know all the things that we've always known. And I don't know if you've realized, but if you could take a look back just a few years ago, things were undeniably different than they are now. It only took a two, three years to almost radically change every aspect of our daily lives and I, I feel like especially as Americans the the pride that we feel as a nation has just been dwindled away into nothing and things like this from the Washington Post this guy's opinion I do not agree with this opinion that is kinda why I wanted to share this specific post it's by David Moscrop at the Washington Post. His opinion, Canada must confront the toxic freedom convoy head on. He goes along, says, Long lines of truckers calling themselves Freedom Convoy are headed across Canada to Ottawa from the west and from the east. Estimates of the size of the convoy vary, but I won't estimate. And he just says some absurd shit and some more absurd shit. So, further down... Those taking part in their way, ostensibly, to the protest pandemic measures, including vaccine mandates for truckers, but that's just the tip of the spear. The leaders of the group is promising to remain peaceful, but the convoy is made up of many individuals that and far-right groups that have embraced the convoy as a Canadian version of January 6th rioting in the United States. But the movement shares an affinity with Trumpists, toxic authoritarianist policies. Indeed, the convoy has received attention from Donald J Trump Jr. Police and security services are preparing for the worst as experts express concern about the online vitriol and journalists covering the convoy are harassed. Time and time again, we learn the lesson. 
or at least come across it, that teaches us that rage-soaked anti-government types can't be reasoned with. This time around, the convoy has produced an incoherent memorandum of understanding premised upon the misunderstanding of government and absurd demands. Of course, the memo should be ignored. It's the product of a temper tantrum. But doing nothing is a risky, subdermal, strat- uh, suboptimal strategy. Now, uh, how much of a temper tantrum have we had from the left? I know, I know that this guy is talking about something that has to do with Canada, but still, they're a very left-leaning country politically and if you want to take a look at what happened for the past four years or five years actually it was just a huge huge temper tantrum from the left and it's just them stomping their feet saying i don't like orange man orange man bad and it's i don't actually like donald trump that much but still he did things that he felt as if we're helping the country, and they did. We had a better economy. We had a whole lot of things going on for us. We are, we're actually energy independent for the first time in several, several, several years. And he goes. this guy goes on to say, uh, the convoy by, in large, a French group. And it's, I like how they the, everybody that's even remotely close to being a minority, they call them a fringe group, like, it's going to be like like they're just writing, oh, it's just a small group of people. This is hardly anyone. Well, even though it's a small percentage, the numbers quoted were only numbers for the Canadian truck force. And I believe the number was somewhere in the ballpark of 12,000 truckers. That's a lot, especially if they follow through with the mandate and they actually fire many of these truck drivers a lot of these truck drivers actually come over the border into our country and vice versa and they're they're instituting a a two-week quarantine and all these guys are in their truck they're, they're not spreading all this shit around even if it was such a serious situation I, I feel like we, we rely on them far more than we would ever need to take their jobs away from them now an unfortunate minority in which a further minority of insidious extremist lurk yeah a guy sitting in a truck hauling you everything that you get at your whole foods is the insidious extremist they are bolstered by support from conservative conservative politicians and certain blustery media voices you know, the guys that actually care about freedom and independence and usually is these these they were called insidious extremists and most of these guys one of their biggest things is leave me the hell alone let me make my own decisions now a lot of them even as a national fringe pose an outsized problem they're too big to ignore and too unreasonable to placate in so far as they represent a broader challenge either way we shouldn't ignore or placate them rather the convoy and its supporters must be met with a counter movement that refuses to give them an inch but instead focuses national subnational and local efforts on true threats to liberty which do exist now 
the only people taking liberties away are the socialistic far left. There's actually a lot of left policies that I can understand and I can get behind. But when it, when it comes to stripping away rights that people already had, especially here in America, where we have all of the rights, inalienable rights given to us by the Constitution from our founders. And you can talk about colonization like this guy does at the end of his, his rant. But no. Now, where is that? Yeah, the convoy speaks of threats to liberty. It could be close to something if the participants weren't so far off. Threats to liberty are rampant in Canada, but not because of vaccine mandates. Rather, it is income and wealth inequality, worker exploitation, gendered, religious, racialized, and other forms of hate violence, ongoing settler colonization, and other forms of structural marginalization and oppression that compromises liberty, same as it ever has. You know what I say to that? To each their own. Let everyone take care of themselves. Stop thinking about all these gender politics and all this craziness. Like, honestly, we just need to get the bearings and try to be normal again. We get all these insane ideologies shoved down our throats. And all these people that live in rural areas that are prominently more right-leaning, the biggest thing that we have is leave us alone and let us make our own decisions. Why is that so hard to understand? They, they feel as if these Democrats sitting in their cities, they feel like when they have an idea that might help them in their lives, that they should force it on everybody else. And they think everybody lives like they do. And that's just completely and totally not true. And then they're the ones that have been out of touch for a long time. And it's only getting worse and worse and worse. And I was talking about the Nuremberg trials a little while ago. It has a lot to do with experiments and other things. And look at Bill Gates over here. This is another post from the nation this one's a little long i'm not actually going to read the whole thing but while the poor get sick bill gates just gets richer i read this a little while ago i thought it was very interesting <clears throat> this guy actually has a whole lot they, they complain about trump a lot they do go over a lot of the money some of it here we go. The foundation recently reported a $40 million stake in CureVac, one of the dozens of investments the foundation reports having to companies working on the COVID vaccines, therapeutics, diagnostics, or manufacturing. According to the National Analyst of Foundation's most recent tax return website and various SEC filings, the foundation has also announced that it will leverage a portion of its $2.5 billion strategic investment fund to advance its work on COVID. These investments around more than $250 million show that the world's most visible charity and one of the 
world's most influential voices in the pandemic response is in a position to potentially reap considerable financial gains from the COVID-19 pandemic. <laughs> Gates reported investments in CureVac alone may have already delivered tens of millions of dollars in shareholder value for the nonprofit Gates Foundation. Even though Trump's bid for the CureVac failed, the company's stock skyrocketed 400% in two days after going public in August. Revelations of the Gates Foundation financial stake in COVID-19, which Bill Gates does not appear to have publicly disclosed in dozens of recent media appearances, speak to broader criticisms about the lack of transparency and the foundation's increasingly central role in the pandemic. They have had a central role in the pandemic and the vaccine rollout since day one, honestly. They're just being more public about it. Who are they accountable to? Do they even have a governance structure structure that's clear? No, they don't. Because how many of these politicians in the United States do you believe invested in stock for Pfizer, Moderna, the, any, any of the Bill Gates's stock, many different stocks that have to do with vaccine production and, and development. And now everybody's calling for more money to be invested into all of these vaccines and vaccine rollouts and study. And not that far after they were talking about, um, well, Gates was talking about in an interview that he's worried about a smallpox pandemic outbreak, maybe a terrorist attack. And I keep seeing all kinds of stuff where it's all these school kids getting screwed over because they didn't want to get vaccinated. Now, this one's a reason. Free minds and a free market. There's a little magazine place. They do a bunch of opinion pieces, but this is just a journalist piece explaining something that actually happened. Not like the Washington Post guy just spouting off a bunch of absurd, absurd shit. Now this one, this L.A. school called the cops on an unvaccinated teens who showed up for class. The students gave negative COVID tests, weren't good enough for school administrators. Now, I was reading this, they had multiple different checkpoints that they had to go through in the school. Which I thought was <laughs> kind of insane. Now... When they showed up at school around 7.30 a.m., they sailed to the first checkpoint run by two newly hired security guards who were satisfied with the girls' proof of negative tests conducted in the last 24 hours, which is already kind of overboard, but, you know, whatever. They shouldn't have to submit things like that. We shouldn't be doing things like this to our kids and subjecting them to all this ludicrous nonsense. But it goes on. It was second... It was at the second checkpoint run by the school administrators demanding proof of vaccination that created trouble for the teens. Several hours later, and I say several hours later, after tense negotiations between the administrators, teens, and their parents, the school called Los Angeles Police Department to the scene and cordoned the teens off, denying them chairs and bathroom breaks, according to the girls. Now, this is surely fucked up. There's no reason... To put a bunch of kids through this. Her explanation is 
She's unvaccinated for several reasons. Given her Jewish faith, she has reservations about putting foreign substances in her body, like vaccines or birth control, even though she's received all childhood vaccines required to enter school that actually have a very, very, very low rate of any harm or adverse reactions. It's been a tried and proven thing, even though some people say that the amount of injections that most kids have in a period of time is a little bit too much and they should be broadened. That's regardless of the point. Uh, this is a vaccine that hasn't gone through full clinical studies and trials. Like we're, we're literally in the middle of the clinical trial for this vaccine and if everyone is forcing it. And I feel like this is part of the way that they just make divide. We're always fighting over something or another. It always has to be something. And now it's the vaccinated over the unvaccinated. And for the longest time, it was racism or who's the terrorist. Well, now our uh, Merrick Garland of the FBI has labeled patriots as domestic terrorists. So now we get to be terrorists and we get to be the bad people just because we don't want to do exactly everything that the government tells us to do. Shut up and take your shot. No, I don't, I don't think so. And I can say that. I got the vaccine. I'm not against all vaccines. I was very deeply troubled after the fact. Well, let me, let me back up a little bit and actually talk about it. Uh, the company that I work for issued a mask policy and we were told that if we got the vaccine that we would no longer need our uh, masks and well it was obnoxious enough after about six months of enduring 10-hour physical work days with a mask on my face so yeah I, I considered it and I ended up getting the the two-round Moderna shot and you know, it's. I didn't have anything. Nothing happened to me. I didn't feel weird or anything. I just, I thought it was normal. I overheard that there is some fishy things going on with the policy surrounding it and how it was emergency use. And, you know, I, I was a little concerned. I wasn't that worried. I felt fine. But I wanted to look into it a little bit. And it wasn't until after, the two, two or three months after I got the shot, that I decided to start looking into it and I found out that it was still in the experimental stages and that it wasn't fully approved by the FDA and the FDA only post-date approved it due to the emergency use authorization. And that, that I mean, like, I wasn't scared or anything like that, but I was, I was pretty concerned, you know, like, why? Why are we forcing this on people? I just, I don't understand what the need is to absolutely force people to do this we've never done anything like this before i think it's absurd and i think i think this might be something i don't huge huge coincidence that the pittsburgh post-gazette is reporting on monster sound 10 injured when bridge in pittsburgh frick park collapses we have here in maine where i'm at we have so many infrastructure problems because we have uh, per capita we have more road span than 
we have for uh, the number of people that pay taxes in the state. And our road network is very, very extensive. We actually don't have uh, the, the, even though we pay a lot of property, uh, a lot of taxes towards the roads, it's mostly to maintain uh, the tours, the areas, and uh, basically the highways and interstates. They don't really care about many of the other more rural areas but there, there's a town close to me Brunswick into Topsom a little ways away from Portland but it's in the general area on the coast we salt our roads to high hell and back all winter long and when we have these steel I-beamed bridges built in the 50s and 60s that are not maintained every year someone should be inspecting it and when when they fail inspection someone needs to maintain what we have you know if you want to if you want to keep something good you have to take care of it if you let it go you're not going to have it anymore well our bridge in brunswick got so bad that the past recent inspection for the past year they realized that they need to put a weight limit and alter traffic and not allow big rigs and heavy box trucks to go over the bridge because they were really scared it was going to collapse. All the salt over time and not repainting and stripping and repainting the, the bridge and let the salt and sodium chloride that we use just eat away at the bridge and turn into Swiss cheese underneath and people are still driving over every day and uh, my my sister-in-law's scared to death and she drives across it every day and she's nervous about it and she saw this and sent it to me now she's all paranoid but this story was uploaded at 5pm on Friday January 28th which is still today hours before President Biden was to visit Pittsburgh on Friday to tout his infrastructure plan a bridge with a troubled inspection history collapsed, injuring 10 people and stranding seven vehicles, including Port Authority bus. On the weekend, uh, the wreck structure that spans the ravine over Frick Park. Three people rushed to the hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. And a fourth person, one of two passengers on the bus, was taken to a hospital about two hours later. Local officials said, we were fortunate, Pittsburgh Mayor Ed Ganey said, that no one was killed. The collapse of the 52-year-old still rigid frame bri uh, bridge took place over the uh, city, prepared for a visit for Mr. Biden, who took a detour to visit the disaster scene before moving on to a scheduled visit in Hazelwood to push his $1 trillion plan to overhaul the nationals, uh, nation's infrastructure, including bridges. And I'm going to pause right there. I, I, I'm going to be looking into this bill when when i actually find out a little bit more about it and some of the other things like the i don't have all the information i haven't put it all together yet but i i have a lot of uh pork basically because yeah, most of these things that they are trying to pass uh it has to be public knowledge eventually and for the longest time i think it was like the first couple months that they were super hardcore pushing it with nancy pelosi really really trying to get a vote on it before Manchin and Cinema uh, decided that they wanted to know more about it before they voted on something that they didn't even know what was in it good on them uh, 
they found out that hardly any of it, any of it had anything to do with infrastructure or anything. And they called bullshit and said, no, no, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Not at all. So I feel like if you want to look into it, find out about it, read about it, share about it, let me know, comment, and uh, we'll try to figure it out. And I'll compile some more stuff. I want to do like a whole thing about the the basic lies of the government. And it's kind of crazy how they just, they kind of sit in a room and they, they, they most of these representatives have people that uh like teams of people that take these 3000 page documents it's it's impo- they write this in such a way that it's impossible for one person to read within the determined amount of time to be able to vote on it so they have teams of people that uh split and delegate portions of these bills and they cram all the information that they can and a very short amount of time and they they basically write simplified memos to give to the representatives or the senate or whoever is voting on the bill so that they know what they're voting for and they have to basically uh trust their employees and they they're not all the same person they're obviously going to have differences in political opinion or anything so while they're scanning through and abbreviating and and oversimplifying things to kind of dumb it down so someone can make a a a rash quick but also informed decision on something yeah some things can get lost in translation and things could be overlooked so i i feel like that's one thing that we should probably push for in our in our uh in our congress and and in our politics to simplified in the beginning because if, if it's physically humanly impossible for someone to read a certain like six inch stack of paper in a bill then maybe it shouldn't be written out that way maybe it should be subdiv- sub sub divided into different bills that could be voted on separately that way everyone knows exactly what they're voting for but I digress. Vehicles were caught in the wreckage, falling with the bridge, and an articulated Port Authority bus trapped in the slab and remnants of the span. In a whirlwind rescue, Fire Chief Daryl Jones said crews repelled 100 to 150 feet down the steep still hillside in order to help to pluck the injured people out of the rubble, later earning praise from the president. These guys des- uh, deserve an incredible amount of credit for going down there. Biden said while visiting the scene. Search and rescue crews are now focused on combing through the debris for possible victims underneath the rubble in an image that has now been flashed on social media around the world. One resident who lives near the park was startled in bed. There was a boom, then a monster sound. I said Melissa back, who said she heard the four-lane bridge collapse, followed by the rushing sound of gas, a gas line that broke. It was so loud and it didn't stop. In a statement, Port Authority said that the bus became trapped and the 61B Braddock Swiss Vale was headed southbound on the bridge around 6.45 a.m. and had nearly reached the east end of the bridge when it collapsed. A Port Authority spokesman said that the bus slid backwards at about a 45-degree angle, but it stopped when it got hit in the rear and part of the rubble. 
Emergency crews were then able to pull out the driver and the two passengers. Now, yeah, this is a sad thing that happened. I don't even know what state this is in. Maybe we'll be able to zoom out and look at it. Uh, is that Pennsylvania? Yeah, Pennsylvania. Right outside of Pittsburgh. Man, that's crazy. I really hope that that does not happen to any of the main bridges around here. And they also have some of the inspection history on the end of the article. The inspection history. The collapse came in the wake of a troubling inspection date in dating to 2011 that show the aging span has been rated in poor condition according to the National Bridge Inventory. Uh, 2011. They've known about it for that long. And have. What do they do about it? Let's see if they did anything about it. Records for the inventory show that the bridge was consistently found to be in poor shape during the inspections from 2011 to 2017, with estimated repairs at $1.5 I know that sounds like a lot of money, but if. I'm thinking about figures. Uh, uh, did, did we pull in $6 million? And just gas taxes the other year in Maine? I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. Mr. Ganey said that the bridge was last inspected in September 2021. A statewide report from last year noted that the bridge was still in poor condition. Well, if you're not maintaining it, it's obviously going to still be in poor condition. The bridge, owned by the city of Pittsburgh, was a 497-foot bridge with a three-span steel rigid frame and carried some 14,000 vehicles a day. It was built in the early 1970s in Newcastle-based construction company. It was replaced the previous bridge that had been in service since 1901 wow that's crazy but just like here in maine they salt their roads too they're part of the northeast and they're far above the salt band uh, the roads get pretty nasty and if you're not maintaining your bridges all the road salt and everything's just where does it go we got gravity it goes down it's not going to fly up and out and everywhere else and be in the atmosphere and be one thing committing to global warming so that they complain about something else no it's going to go down onto the steel girders that support it and it's just going to rot everything uh, it goes on to say one local resident a software engineer said he sent an alert to the city three years ago when he was walking his dog at the bridge and noticed a rusted and detached support he said he reported a rusted and detached support. Wow. He snapped a few photos and posted one to his Twitter account, adding to the city's 311, non-emergency handle writing. I hope someone is keeping an eye out for the underside of the Forbes Avenue bridge over Frick Park. One of the big X-beams is rusted entirely through, and yes, I see the cable, so it's probably not crisis. Oh, let's see if I can blow this picture up. Oh, it's on Twitter. All right. Yeah, that that is pretty scary. 
that's supporting 14,000 cars a day? Holy cow. If you don't see video, yeah, they, they have a picture and it is completely rotten. It looks like the frame of my 20-year-old truck. It does not look good at all. The city actually responded three days later that it had received the message and created a ticket to track his concern about that was later closed. But what's not clear is whether or not any significant repairs were made. Obviously not. If the fucking thing collapsed. Holy crap. The detached beam was later removed and after that kind of figured it was taken care of and gradually forgot about it. His tweet, which had just a couple of views and likes before Friday, had over 3,000 within several hours of the collapse. His tweeted photo was now being linked to news stories across the country. The state records showed that Allegheny County was the highest number of bridges in the state in poor condition, 176 in all as well as the highest number of bridges overall. In the uh, county, 8% of the 1,100 state bridges are listed in poor condition. Another 20% of the 400 local bridges show poor rating. The National Transportation Safety Board announced late Friday morning that it is sending a GO team to the scene. The team, headed by NTSB Chairwoman Jennifer Homini, was expected to arrive Friday afternoon along with the President and his entourage just to make a, just a an appearance and just look at things and say sorry I, I i hope you guys are fine okay okay bye and this is going over the president's visit uh, i don't know if you came over the city shooter shout out of pressure and then okay bye now i got a nice news story from Politico. I mean, we all know that your phone's listening to you and that Google and any other web domain service that you use, whether it be Facebook or anything else, they use your data. They track your data. They do. They, they watch what you pay for, even Amazon. All the information, every single time you make a keystroke, every single time I come over here with my mouse and I click on something or look at something or scroll over this ad for too long all of that gets recorded and it's metadata at least I believe it's metadata well all of that gets shoved into little packets of information and gets sold it gets sold to different ad companies uh, Facebook invests a lot of money in things like this and Let's just say that there are targeted ads. If you're ever sitting around talking to your significant other or friends and your phone's out and you're talking about, oh, man, I really wish that I had that certain camera. Uh, maybe I'll be able to get that camera next time I get paid or something because I really want the increased quality and blah, 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 blah. Well, your friends go home and you, you decide to start scrolling around on your phone and then all of a sudden you're on Facebook and you're, you're scrolling around and you see an ad for this camera on sale that you were just talking about. And you think, oh, it's serendipitous. That, that's such a coincidence. Well, no, it's listening to you. And no, it's not a conspiracy. It really is. All those permissions for all the apps and everything that you use, 
they use your microphone, they track data, and they constantly listen to things. Uh, they, they say that they don't use it for nefarious purposes or anything like that, but you already know. They're, they're tracking data, and they, they use that to build a profile on you, and they sell your data to all these ad companies, and they, they produce targeted ads specific to you because they know your psychology by the things that you talk about, the things that you click on, and the things that you already have on your phone and the things you look up. So they know almost exactly what you want already. By doing targeted ads that way, they already know that if they showed you a very specific thing that already would have piqued your interest, that you have much higher odds of actually clicking on the ad and looking into it and maybe spending money because this entire world runs on money. The saddest thing is even when it's on something like this. Suicide Hotline shares data for profit spinoff, raising ethical questions. If you didn't know already, you're the product. Now, the Crisis Text Line's AI-driven chat service has gathered troves of data from its conversations with people suffering from life's toughest situations. Crisis Text Line is one of the world's most prominent mental health support lines, a tech-driven nonprofit that uses big data and artificial intelligence to help people cope with traumas such as self-harm, emotional abuse, and thoughts of suicide. Uh, I'm going to stop it right there. Uh, a lot of these people that are suffering from um, end-all-be-all situations, like thoughts of suicide, and uh, a lot of that stuff has loneliness as a contributing factor and not actually having a human connection. How is an AI, artificial intelligence text line, such a popular source of help? I, I understand that if someone is possibly suicidal that, you know, they might not want to confide in people that they know and feel fear some kind of backlash or something but uh you know hey maybe this is a good chance if you're listening to this right now and you know somebody that's down in the dumps be a human being actually show them some kindness maybe we will hear about less stuff like this anyway the data in the charity collects from its online text conversations with people in their darkest moments does not end there the organization's for-profit spinoff uses sliced and repackaged versions of that information to create market customer service software. Crisis Text Line says that any data it shares with that company has been wholly anonymized, stripped of any detail that could be used to identify people who contacted the helpline in distress. Both entities say that their goal is to improve the world, in Lori's case, by making customer support more human, empathetic, and scalable. No, you're not going to do that with artificial intelligence. Thank you. In turn, Loris has pledged to share some of its revenue with the crisis text line. The nonprofit also holds an ownership stake in the company, and the two entities share the same CEO for at least a year and a half. The two call their relationship a model for how commercial enterprises can help charitable endeavors thrive. No, uh, you mean like philanthropy or philanthropist? No, you're just uh, you're a corporate entity using AI and 
probably taking advantage of people at their weakest moments. But they don't know it. The Crisis Text Line, an organization for financial backing for some of the Silicon Valley's biggest players. I want to say that again. For Crisis Text Line, an organization with financial backing from some of the Silicon Valley's biggest players has control of what it is called the largest mental health data set in the world. Highlights new dimensions of the tech privacy debates rolling in Washington. Giant companies like Facebook and Google have built great fortunes based on the masses of deeply personal data, but information of greater, uh, equal or greater sensitivity is in the hands of nonprofit groups that fall outside of federal regulations and commercial businesses with little outside control over where that data ends up. Now, ethics and privacy experts. Uh, contacted by Politico saw several potential problems with the arrangement. You don't say. Some noted that studies of other types of anonymized data, uh, data sets have shown that it can sometimes be easy to trace records back to specific individuals, citing past examples involving health records, genetic data, and even passengers in New York City taxis. And they do that for a reason, because I'm pretty sure this is tied into targeted marketing, and it's also part of uh, an overall census of a demographic in an area and if they're collecting information on the mental health per capita in a, in a, in a specific region that, that could be one thing that they're doing and it could still be tied into all the other things I was talking about before others questioned whether the people who text their pleas for help actually consenting to having their data shared despite approximately 50 paragraph disclosure and the helpline offer link. Who is gonna read that? Really, like if you're if you're if you're dealing with what you're dealing with, to be able to text this thing, you're not gonna you're not gonna be worried about disclosures and fine print bullshit. <coughs> the nonprofit may have legal consent, but do they have actual, meaningful, emotionally fully understood consent? Asked Jennifer King. The privacy and data follows the Sanford University Institute for Human-Centered Artificial Intelligence. These are people at their worst moments using that data to help other people is one thing, but commercializing it seems like a real ethical line for a nonprofit cause. That's pretty much exactly how I feel on that sort of thing. Disclosure terms also note that Meta's Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp services can access the content of conversations taking place through those platforms. Meta confirmed that it has access to the data, but it does not use any of it, except for the cases involving risk of imminent harm. Former federal regulator said that it would be problematic for third-party companies to have access to the anonymized data. Through the though, she cautioned that the unfamiliar she was unfamiliar with these companies involved. It would be contrary to what the expectations and the distressed consumers are reaching out for the nonprofit. A former director of Federal Trade Commission's Bureau of Consumer Protection, she later added that the fact that the data is transferred to a non-for-profit company is this makes much more troubling. See, they transfer the data to a for-profit company, a huge corporation probably, makes this a much more troubling and gives the FTC an angle for asserting a jurisdiction. The nonprofit's vice president and general counsel, Sean Rodriguez, said in an email to Politico that 
the crisis text line obtains information consent from each of its texters and that the organization's data sharing practices are clearly stated in the terms of service and privacy which all texters consent in order to be paired and volunteered crisis counselor I, I thought it said it was an AI but maybe it's just the assessment of getting initialized so it goes on it was launched in 2013 <clears throat> and this is how much data it could actually collect over the course of the time since 2013 the crisis text line says that it has exchanged 20 uh, 219 million messages and more than 6.7 million conversations over text facebook messenger and whatsapp channels say that it allows it to meet more often useful clients based where they are it has spread beyond the U.S. to open operations Canada, U.K., and Ireland. The New York-based profit, nonprofit, actually, says it knows how deeply personal and urgent these silent conversations are for those reaching out. And LGBTQ or living in rural areas, 68% of the textures share something with us that they have never shared with anyone else, the helpline wrote in one government filing. You know... Like I, like I was saying before, it's just being decent human beings will go a long way and help a lot of people. If we were more personable towards our, our, our neighbors or just people that we ran into at the grocery store instead of being arrogant pricks all the time, you know, you'd just be a little nicer to your neighbor. And by neighbor, I mean anyone that you really come in contact with that's in your community. That's all you need to do. There's always somebody having a bad time. We know that if you text the word NUMS and sleeve, there's a 99% match for cutting. The nonprofit co-founder and former CEO Nancy Lublin said 2015 in TED Talk that we know if you text the words MG and rubber band, there's a 99% match for substance abuse. And we know that if you text in sex, oral, or Mormon, that you're questioning if you're gay. Wow, that, that's weird. But okay. Oh, these people are creepy. I love data added Lubin, who was also described as a helpline as a tech startup. She had previously founded the group for Dress for Success, which provides business clothing and job training to women in need. This month, Lublin referred to questions about the relationship between the helpline and Loris Hertz, the current CEO. So yeah, they just go on and keep talking about it. Uh, this is a speak out section. Volunteers speak out. Former crisis text line worker Tim Rearson has a different term for Loris's use of the crisis lines, and he calls it disrespectful. When you're in a conversation with someone and you don't know how it's going to end, it's a very delicate and tender and fragile space. Who started? Uh, said Rearson, who started a public campaign to try to the, change the nonprofits and data practices. He said the people who contact the text line many of them teens or younger include someone staring at blades on their table in front of them or somebody hiding from a parent who's on a rampage someone who's struggling with an eating disorder someone who's already into uh, ready to end their life and his experience as a volunteer he said he believes that those individuals definitely have an expectation that the conversation is between just the two people that are talking that is a very very good point Former volunteer Allison Diver, who described talking one texture out of jumping off a freeway bridge and another off of a hotel ba balcony, 
left Crisis Text Line in July. She said that she has signed, uh, since signed on to change.org pe- petition that Rearson started that urges nonprofit to change its practice of monetizing crisis conversations as data as soon as possible. Diver expressed alarm after hearing Rearson extra- uh, describe nonprofit data practices. They, like, that's exactly what I was talking about earlier. It, they they see you as profit, and you're just a product to all these major companies. Like most of the people that are really high up, executive level uh, chairs of uh, companies, corporations, they're 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 complete and total psychopaths. They don't they don't they don't really f- have normal human emotion. They they don't sympathize with people especially lowly people like us they're just going to use all your data for their own financial means and whatever even if it is nefarious it could be and we can get on to some politics but before that i want to talk about some main news that's actually Fucking hilarious. Uh, look at this. Arrest after main pair tries to bail out inmate with fake money. Both people have previously been charged with four counts of aggravated drug trafficking and violating conditions of release, uh, release based on earlier drug charges. You gotta be fucked up on something to try to bail someone out of jail with fake money. I mean, Jesus Christ. This is in Maine, in the United States. This uh, this was published yesterday by News Center Maine. Police in Maine say that they found more drugs and guns in an apartment rented by two people who they have also accused of trying to bail out an inmate using counterfeit money. The Sun Journal reports investigators found the drugs and the guns in a Bangor apartment. No, this is Bangor. Both people had previously charged with four counts of aggravated truck ra- uh, trafficking and violating conditions of release based on earlier drug charges. The two people were jailed Wednesday on $100,000 bail. It was unclear if they had, had hired attorneys. Uh, no, probably not. <laughs> yeah, how many... Uh, that makes me think about that TikTok sound reel that I heard. And on today's episode of How Fucked Up is Fucked Up. It's fucked up. And that's fucked up. <laughs> uh, this is great. Um, there's actually uh, a, a really bad problem in Maine with drugs. And f- some part of it, I almost feel like it's... Uh, uh, they call it cabin fever. Uh, you're stuck inside all winter long. There's a lot of guys, like fishermen. Uh, some of the ones that aren't nearly as hardy. They they take even more time off in the winter time, but they, they make a lot of money during the summer and they sit around their house all winter and they have absolutely nothing to do besides chores and drugs. That's why there's a lot of people in Maine that either have a lot of kids, or they're an alcoholic, or they're on a bunch of drugs, or all of the above. Or you could be like me and work fifty to sixty hours a week and not have any time to do anything. Now, uh, heroin is actually a terrible, terrible, terrible epidemic in Maine right now for some really weird reason. And 
uh, it's just everywhere. Everywhere you go. Like, uh, I, I, I used to live all over the South. I, I lived in Tampa, Florida for a year. I lived in, uh, on the outskirts of Austin. Uh, I also lived on the outskirts of Dallas, which I do not recommend. Uh, f- originally from the southwest Louisiana area, and every every region of the United States, almost it's almost like they all have a drug that they're famous for. Like, ironically enough, it was, it was crack in Louisiana, and most of the South is all speed and cocaine and crack and and Molly and Florida. And you you come up to the northeastern states, it's heroin, heroin everywhere. And then you you can jump all the way past the Midwest because they're all just fucking hippie stoners, and go all the way to California, and it's more heroin. It's just fucking everywhere. So that's that. I almost feel like if we just legalize all the drugs, we just unfortunately end up weeding people out or maybe maybe it'll be like me with drinking because when i was too young to drink it was a thrill and i used to drink all the fucking time every time i got a chance to social gatherings parties whatever i was drunk i was practically an alcoholic but after i turned 21 and i was fully able to just walk down to the store and get it myself i almost lost all complete and total fucking interest in it and didn't even matter to me anymore who knows? Maybe it'll be like that. Uh, I got this stuck on me from Yahoo Finance. We all knew that this was coming. We knew it. There's no way that you could have not known that this was going to happen. You give people 900 to to 1000 whatever dollars a week for months on end, and this is where it gets you. But that's not it. It's not just from the past two years of unemployment and shutdowns and stops in our economy. It started a long time ago, long before this, and it's finally starting to catch up to us. And, you know, all of these things that take time to actually cause an effect, it really makes you wonder where we're going to be within the next couple of years, two to five years, maybe. Um, I don't know if you remember, but, uh, the 2008 recession, uh, I believe it was around the 2008 recession, all the big banker bailouts that were, uh, coming out. Well, uh, as those things were happening and bills were being signed and banks were starting to get bailed out, we were told by Obama and, uh, the treasury department at the time that, we would only be taking care of U.S. entities and that the bailouts were only going to be a total of uh, $5 trillion, which would have been in, is still insane today with all the corona relief and everything, all the fight, infighting and everything that it took to get what we did get passed. Well, there was Pfizer disc- uh, repeals and... Uh, they they got put off until uh, I believe it was 2025, and this was back in 2008 when they first signed the appeal. Now, someone had been looking into it, waiting for it for a long time, and we're getting a lot closer to the date 
they they decided to um, file more paperwork for disclosure, and they're they're learning that instead of five trillion dollars like we were originally promised, they did they did a whole bunch of uh, economic jujitsu, like they were trying to do in the Build Back Better bill, where it would have costed you five trillion dollars, but uh, there were reoccurring payments over time, over a span of three to five years, that would have ended up costing, uh, I, I think it was uh, almost twenty trillion dollars once you added everything up. Uh, no, to backtrack back to the Obama administration when the recession was happening and he signed the banker bailouts that were five trillion dollars. Uh, I can't remember the exact. I read it a little while ago. I forgot to save it. It was. 20 to 30 trillion dollars and it wasn't only u.s based bank it was the bank of ireland and many other offshore banks like uh the main central bank of japan and these are things that you could look up i i swear to it i i know what i read i just i was i was taking a shit and scrolling down my phone and I saw, saw it and was like wow this is insane I looked at two different sources and I forgot to save it I don't even remember where I was from but that's how that happened so now we get into this there, there's always a cause and effect the, the, these things that happened what seemed like it wasn't too long ago but now you, you can think about it it was a little while ago now a lot of these major gigantic transactions usually take a little while to go through especially when you're dealing with centralized banks and our banking system and capitalism and all this and that and uh, the stocks like to go up and down and usually if, if we spend a lot of money more money goes into circulation and it can carry it for a little while but it will always come back to bite you in the ass when you have more money in circulation than you've ever had because all we're doing is printing money, printing money all the time. And it's reasonable to print money all the time. As you need it in small batches to keep a constant cash flow in society. But when you're overprinting constantly, thinking that all the imaginary numbers that you're just typing into a computer screen isn't going to change anything or have any real life consequences. Uh, we end up seeing stuff like this start hitting us after so long. So this is Yahoo Finance from Bloomberg Financial. Uh, U.S. consumer spending drops with inflation hitting a 40-year high. I'll say that again. A 40-year high. Inflation hasn't been as high as it is now in 40 years. Now... U.S. consumer spending drops with inflation 40-year high. Bloomberg. U.S. inflation-adjusted consumer spending fell last month by the most since February, suggesting that Americans tempered their outlays amid the latest COVID-19 wave of fastest inflation nearly 40 years. Uh, I'll say one thing, too. is like When I, when I went to go get groceries this, this uh, past few weekends, uh, I, I used to spend $100 a week. Uh, I, I got pretty good about it, not buying name brand stuff, just mm, being a minimalist. And uh, we, we go hunting sometimes, and every once in a while, we'll actually get something that stays in the deep freezer, and we use that for meat for a little while. 
Well, my one hundred dollar grocery bill. I bought. I, I'm a. I'm a creature of habit. I do the same thing all the time, and I'm very, very consistent about what I do. Every single time I go to the grocery store, I buy the exact same things every single time. The only difference is, is one or two different meals that we like to change up for the weekend or something like that. Because we, we have like uh, an oddly tightly structured food regimen for some reason. I don't, I don't know. It's just always worked that way because it's cheap. And I try to buy reasonably healthy food. And I just, I don't know. I like what I like. And I just, I'm, like I said, I'm a creature of habit. I just buy the same stuff all the time. And I like it like that. We just get snacks every once in a while to add to it. Uh, yeah, my $100 grocery bill ended up being $180 for the exact same shit. And yeah, all the markups and inflation and everything else is is, is getting pretty crazy. Uh, it wasn't <clears throat> four or five months ago. I can go to Walmart. I hate shopping at Walmart, but I can go to Walmart and find uh, on sale bacon for three dollars a pound or three ninety nine, and those same packages are almost seven dollars right now. It's ignorant for seven dollars for one pound of bacon, the cheap bacon. It's getting kind of scary, and I've only gotten a dollar raise, so yeah, I'm getting kind of fucked, like a lot of other people. What it goes on to say in this article, uh, the personal consumer expenditures price gout, uh, gauge what the Federal Reserve uses for its inflation target rose 0.4% from a month earlier and 5.8% uh, 5 from December 2020, the most since 1982. Unadjusted for inflation, spending fell 0.6%, while incomes rose 0.3%. Exactly. And another sign of inflation pressures throughout the economy, a separate Labor Department Friday rep uh, report Friday showed us U.S. employment cost rose about at a robust pace for a second straight quarter, highlighting the rapid compensation gains seen in the second half of the year as businesses competed for a limited supply of workers. The data come after the Fed seeking to tame inflation and preserve the recovery endorsed by interest rate liftoff in March and opened the door for more frequent and uh, potentially larger hikes than anticipated following the two-day policy meeting on Wednesday. A surge of coronavirus infections due to the Omicron variant likely slowed the spreading, uh, spending in December as Americans stayed home. And high gas prices were also a deterring factor that impact could carry over from the beginning of the first quarter as economic activity remains subdued Though most analysts, analysts expect a slowdown to be short-lived, the Bloomberg Economist says, even though the latest data simply implies a sizable near-term drop in activity, we estimate the slowdown to, will be short-lived. With virus cases having already peaked, robust gains in labor income will continue to support healthy gains in consumer spending as the year progresses. Yelena Shortishonyo, whatever the hell that name is, and Andrew Husby, Economist. There's a risk that the high inflation that we're seeing will be prolonged. Oh, I thought it was transitory. There's no such thing as transitory inflation. There's a risk that it will move even higher 
Chair Jerome Powell said during the press conference Wednesday, we will have to be in a position with our monetary policy to address all of these plausible outcomes. The media forecast for Bloomberg's survey of economists called 1.1% decrease in inflation adjusted to spending to 5.8% rise in the price index from a year ago. A separate report Thursday showed personal spending grew 3.3% in three final months that, uh, in the three final months of 2021. Led by a pickup of service, the, uh, service outlays, <coughs> Friday's data for the December suggests that consumer outlays concentrated on the earlier part of the fourth quarter. Inflation-adjusted good expenditures slumped 3.1% while spending on services rose 0.1% according to Friday's data. The report also showed that personal incomes decrease, uh, increased in December by a slower pace than 0.5% in the prior month. So you're basically, your your money is worth less and you're making less money also. The savings rate, or personal savings as a shared disposable income, rose to 7.9% as a second straight increase declining for much of the year. Wages and salaries advanced 0.7% in December after a 0.6% increase in the prior month as companies continue to pay to attract workers amid low labor supply. Despite sizable pay increases on nominal terms, inflation is eating away incomes, disposable personal income, and or after-tax income adjusted for inflation fell 0.2% last month for the fifth straight decline. The core price index, which includes food and energy, rose 4.9% from a year ago, and uh, and the most since 1983. The price pressures are expected to remain elevated in the coming months before cooling later this year. Now, there's uh, I had I had the oil guy. Uh, if you live in the north, my oil guy came, and I ordered a hundred gallons of K1 heating oil, and this guy. Um, you know, everybody makes mistakes. He ended up filling my tank, and I had a paper on my door with a $860 bill. $860 for 260 gallons of heating oil. That would have usually, like, if I filled my tank a year ago today, it would have been half that money. It would have been three to $400 for almost a full tank of oil. I just make enough money to be able to cover all of my bills and I just so happen to have enough money to be able to cover stuff like that and keep my uh, oil account going and strong. Anyway, uh, there's a lot of people that don't actually have the monetary means and live paycheck to paycheck and all the, all the people that are on SSI, Social Security and Disability, those people... They haven't actually had substantial gains in any of their coverages, and they're they're still stuck in, in getting what they get basically. And I I know how some of those systems work. If 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 they're going to get an increase, it's going to be, uh, oh, you get like six hundred dollars a month to live off of. We're going to give you another twenty dollars, and that's about it. And they might be lucky enough to get food stamps to help them out. Now, hopefully, we can remedy some of these things like one of the one of the things was the pipelines that keep getting shut down and and fracking uh, i mean yes there's a, there's a bad byproduct to any industrial process that we do but 
we have a lot of things going on, like where everybody's tiptoeing around the idea of war with Russia. And if you wanted to hurt Russia financially and not actually have a full war with Russia and have more of uh, more or less a covert uh, sanction on them, you don't actually have to sanction any of the trade. All you have to do is let America become energy independent again and then Russia wouldn't be one of the leading exporters of oil anymore and they wouldn't be able to fund a war. We would be in a much better position financially and economic, uh, uh, financially and every other way. And, you know, the f- a lot of people would appreciate the fact that we'd be energy independent. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that if we were to do all these rolling blackouts with solar power and inconsistent means of powering our homes without using any kind of fossil fuels, uh, the people that are in poverty are just going to be even worse off. And the people in the lower middle class, which there is really no middle class, we're all in poverty now. That's basically the way it is. It's just going to get a lot worse. And I wish I could end on a happy note. I really wanted to. But all the articles that I saw that stuck out, stuck out to me in recent news that I wanted to talk about uh, was not very happy and uplifting. Maybe I'll find some more that will be happier next time. If you like what you heard and you want to follow me, I, I just made a Facebook page. It's called Where Will You Stand? It's pr- It's got the same logos and everything as my... Um, my um, anchor and Spotify logo. I'm also on YouTube. I'm going to be uploading my video much later than audio. And it takes freaking forever. So, yeah, if you find me on Facebook, go ahead, like my page, and follow my content. I like to share memes. And um, once I get enough people on it, I actually want to make it open because the whole premise of this podcast especially since uh what i really want to do is not just share the news i i want to be able to interview people and take your side of where you stand on all of these issues that i I like talking about and shedding a little bit of light on um maybe we could start that with a public discussion on a forum like my facebook page or youtube comments if you take uh, if you find wherever you stand on YouTube, you could like and subscribe to the videos. I'll do bite-sized clips, a little bit easier to digest uh, on YouTube. And whatever the topic is in that video, you could discuss it. And I'm thinking about maybe even making a, a Reddit channel, uh, Reddit page too, that we can use to. <clears throat> yeah, we could we could probably use that to to divert some content and actually share each other's views debate a little bit and actually see where everybody stands on certain issues thank you for anybody that's listening right now this is casey thomas for where will you stand catch me next time i'm going to start uploading regularly monday through friday i want to do short videos do it in mini segments Try to find something happy. Try to find something scientific. Try to find something political. 
and also try to find something a little historical and just have like a nice little mix that's seg- uh, subjugated in every single little video that I do. That way it's it's more bite-sized and there's more diversity in the information. And then like today, like this episode, the official episode number two, uh, what I, I'm going to be doing on the weekend is a nice long video talking about history and one of the things that i'm gonna start doing is uh as soon as i get the great reset book i'm gonna start talking about that and my family's gonna start reading the art of war so we're gonna start going over that and i might read because the art of war is very interesting it actually has uh excerpts from julius caesar and some of the chinese dynasties and warlords and stuff in it it's, it's actually really super informative and kind of insane but there's a lot of cool bits of information in it that aren't too exuberant that we'd be able to actually talk about catch me next time thank you very much if you watched have a good one